Welcome, everyone, to Beyond the Panel, brought to you by Balancing Life's Issues, the Business Council of Westchester, and Westchester's ultimate headhunter, the Headless Horseman. I'm your host, Kai, and we're here to give the Talent Tuesday panelists an opportunity to follow up and dive a little deeper into the subject matter they recently spoke to on the webinar. Today, we are talking to Melissa Swift. Melissa Swift is the U.S. Transformation Leader at Mercer, the consultancy helping redefine the world of work. She is a recognized thought leader on the subject of the future of work post-COVID. She has been quoted on the subject in Newsweek, Washington Post, Axios, and Daily Mail, and has appeared on NPR and Al Jazeera English. Wow. She is the author of Work Here Now, Think Like a Human, and Build a Powerhouse Workplace. Welcome to the program, Melissa. Thanks. Great to be here. Great to have you. So I think the webinar last Tuesday was all about the pinch on talent is how you guys talked about it. Can you just tell us a little bit about the work you do in Westchester County and that idea of the pinch on talent? Yeah. So I lead the transformation practice uh, for Mercer within the, the career business. So basically all of those workforce issues, right, about how do you get the right people in the door how do you um, make sure they're as productive as possible? How do you retain them in the, this tough pinch on talent that we'll talk about in a second? That's where we help clients. And we've got a huge swath of clients in Westchester County, um, that, some that I work personally with. And it's, it's just a very, you know, kind of exciting journey um, helping out with, uh, you know, with the whole area. So let me talk a little bit about the, the pinch on talent. For every unemployed person in the United States right now. There are two job openings. And what that shows is just a structurally tight labor market. For all of the talk that we've heard about layoffs, the labor market re remains tight. And we believe it will do so going forward. You know, birth rates remain low. People are working fewer hours and that pulls talent out of the workforce. There's a lot of just structural factors that mean that, you know, we may never have the same access to talent that we have historically. And that's the pinch. Yeah, it's fascinating when you look at this pinch on talent, because I think the conversation we're hearing is how you can get more creative about which pools of, of people you're hiring from. You know, examples of that are, you know, we talked with Andrea about ConConnect, getting connected to the formerly incarcerated, rethinking what roles actually need a college degree, right? Like, I know I was someone when I entered the labor market, I was constantly up against that must have six years of experience, you know, to even get a foot in the door for an interview. So can you just tell us a little bit about the unique pools of kind of people we're looking at when it comes to hiring? Yeah. So it's interesting. We've, for so many roles, we've always considered a college degree kind of a minimum requirement, but what having a college degree often says about you says more about the, the privilege of the background you came from in many cases than the actual capabilities of the individual. And I think it's important to start making that, that distinction and also start thinking about how does work get done today? I mean, with so much technology, so much systems enablement, uh, you know, you don't necessarily need to have some body of knowledge in your brain before you start work. It's so much of the job is learned on the job. And that's where the, if you eliminate the college degree requirement, you also get a far more both ethnically and economically diverse group of folks to choose from, uh, many of whom may have not just the same skills, but actually superior skills, because they've been forced to use adaptive skills earlier in life due to not coming from as much privilege. So in, in many ways, eliminating that college degree requirement 
it could improve the quality of your talent pool, which I think would be fascinating. Yeah. You know, I have a confession. I was hired as a director of podcasts, having never recorded a podcast. <laughs> you know, isn't that amazing? Like, and it's not that you you're like uh, lying your way into a job, but you're not faking it till you make it. I just knew the situation I landed in, my skill set was what got me the job. And, you know, here we are recording podcasts for the BCW, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And there's tons of funny stories from the tech realm where you'll see these these job descriptions, you know, must have eight years of experience with a programming language that was invented four years ago. <laughs> you know, it's gotten nonsensical. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. So as as someone who needs to tap into these hiring pools of talent, what kind of tactics are you seeing at like the top of the hiring funnel that are opening companies up to more like non-traditional candidates? Yeah. So I, I'd say there's kind of two areas of focus. Number one is looking at the job descriptions themselves. I mean, so we're seeing things like organizations removing the college degree requirement from every single job description in the organization, you know, from entry level all the way up to CEO. And in general, my guidance is the more minimal you can make that job description, the better. I mean, there's all kinds of great data about when there's too much detail in it, certain groups just self-select out thinking, well, I can't really do all that stuff. And a lot of the detail, again, is is unneeded, not relevant, boilerplate, right? So going to super minimalist job descriptions that have only the skills you really need, that's one piece of the puzzle. The other piece is making sure that you're actually, you know, kind of reaching out consciously to different populations, that there's this sort of, you know, myth in the world of kind of like, well, I put the job description online and like, we're good to go. You know, things like internet access is not universal. Not everybody's looking in the same places. Some of the talent you need might not be on LinkedIn. If you use LinkedIn to look for people, right? Some of those people may not be there. So we're seeing companies be a lot more intentional about should I, if I want to target a particular group, should I find an organization that works with that group? You know, something like ConConnect being, being a wonderful example. Um, you know, but also going back to some kind of super old fashioned stuff like physical job boards and things like that, you know, it's kind of what's old is new again, but I think it's a really productive strategy. Yeah. And that kind of makes me wonder like who's doing the interviewing, right? Like, is that person in a place to be as open-minded as, as kind of you're talking about? I think it's a wonderful question. I mean, in my book, I cite a piece of research that uncovered one bank, for instance, that hired just a bunch of lacrosse players and, you know, it wasn't even like, oh, our culture is a lot of athletes. It's like one specific sport. And how does that happen? Well, it's generally one hiring manager, right? Who, you know, I played lacrosse, right? And and that's the kind of, you have to really educate your hiring managers about bias. And I don't just mean, well, you know, people will say, well, I'm not, you know, biased against other genders or, or ethnicities or whatever. And, you know, they may think they're not. And, and they may not be biased in that way. But we all have personal, just kind of what I would call generic biases of, in general, often being in favor of people who remind us of ourselves. There's kind of a narcissistic bias. So, so you know, I played lacrosse. Well, it was good for me. It must be great for, for this guy. And really educating hiring managers to just scrub that out of their brains is, is a great step. Yeah. And I, I mean, as you're saying, it, it's probably easier said than done. So, you know, on that topic of gender, ethnicity, country of origin, uh, how do you help create kind of that inclusive 
not I mean, first of all, an inclusive work environment that welcomes all, but then how do you, what's the best way to kind of show that right in the hiring process? So someone feels comfortable kind of even uh, thinking about taking the job. Yeah, well, I think it's it's great to focus on what we have in common. And what we have in common is actually the work. So, you know, if you go into the interview and you spend 15, I mean, I'll give a silly example. You spend 15 minutes talking about your country club, right? Mm, right. <laughs> okay, we can all agree that's weird. But a lot of people do a sort of more minor version of that. But actually connecting the conversation around the work and the skills to do the work. And because that's the thing you're there to talk to the person about. I mean, you want to see if, if there's, you know, some level of, and i in, in my book, I actually challenged the notion of culture fit uh-huh. because again, you don't want to hire the same person over and over. You, you may want culture challenge as much as you want culture fit. So trying to make sure that the person you're hiring maybe shares your culture's values without spending too much time on, you know, kind of like lifestyle stuff that, you know, just may never match up, but it doesn't matter because the person shares your values and they have the ability to do the work. It's like, focus on those two things, make sure the conversation stays there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really appreciate that. And when, when we think about, you know, being super mindful of this hiring process, non-traditional candidates, you know, presenting, you know, an inclusive work environment. So this candidate is finally in the role, right? We've made the great hire. We're feeling really good about it. I know you had some thoughts about how, you know, people who are at the end of their career or are in retirement already, like playing like a mentorship role. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is a neat one because this is such a win-win for everybody and, and for a bunch of different populations. So traditionally, we've thought of retirement as kind of like this brick wall, you know, and you're on this side of the brick wall, or you're on that side of the brick wall. And in reality, it's a lot more nuanced. And there's a lot of great studies showing that for folks that might be of retirement age, keeping mentally active is the best thing they can do for their mental and physical health. So what we're seeing some great organizations do is say, okay, come in, you know, work part-time for us, be coaches, be mentors. We don't want your domain knowledge to get lost, right? You learned a lot about what our company does. You don't have to fully leave our walls, you know, come in a bit coach and mentor those early and career populations. And it, it takes some of the strain off middle managers who are often very, you know, kind of stretched just from a career and a life perspective. And it provides those early and career populations with really wonderful coaches and, and mentors um, who aren't, you know, fully in the rat race. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a nice example of being a bit more fluid about how you think about your working populations can really create wins for a bunch of different populations. Right. And like, so now I'm, you're starting to paint like this, this career journey of this non-traditional candidate, right? Um, they, they got in your door in a non-traditional way. They had this awesome mentorship with someone who was at the company for 25 years, because I think one thing you talked about, which I really appreciated, which I live every day is that the best place to learn how to do your job is doing the job, right? So yeah. can you, yeah, talk talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So it, think about the, the world we live in, the skills to do any job. Think about your job, my job, anybody's job. They change so fast, right? Like your job a year ago, you know, just due to changes in technology alone might be very different than it is today. And so we've moved more and more of the learning onto the job, which which is great. 
So, you know, at, at that point, we should kind of celebrate it. We should acknowledge what it looks like. We should acknowledge that the pace of work isn't always going to be the same. It's This is something I talk about in my book that I, I use a funny example of I taught myself to fix a toilet. And, you know, the first time I did it, I, it didn't look very elegant. And I wasn't very fast at it. Because, but we're in that position day after day of constantly acquiring new skills. And I think managers have to kind of understand that that's how work is right now. That's what it looks like and sort of, you know, plan accordingly. Yeah. And yeah, I just with with that, though, I think there are, you know, across a spectrum, there's I don't I want to call it hand holding, but there's like how much a manager needs to play a role in somebody learning their job versus sink or swim attitude. Right. And I've I've been in both environments and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, any thoughts there? Yeah, no, same. I mean, I. I kind of love the, there's a collaboration model that's sort of like the figure eight model of collaboration where you kind of come together, then go away, then come back together. And I actually think it's a good model for teaching and learning as well, that, you know, the best thing you can do as a manager is kind of come in, teach, and then walk away and and give folks that space to test and learn and sort of not hover, right? And th- But then come back. Yeah, let them fail. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in my book, I talk about the work anxiety monster, you know, this constant voice in our heads. It's like, it's not getting done fast enough. It's not getting done well enough. But that's, yeah. we have to fight that anxiety monster because that's who's not letting us, you know, let people fail. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think a lot of people can resonate with that one. And I think a good manager, a good top-down approach when it comes to that is, listen, not, nothing's going to you know, explode if, if this happens or if this doesn't get done, right. It's that, I love that figure eight model. Like let's work together. What did you learn in the last month since we had a meeting about your onboarding process and just that collaborative effort, I I think is really cool. Yeah. And learning goes both ways. I mean, look, the, the junior folks that I work with are constantly teaching me things, you know, that Mm -hmm. I had a group of people confront me a few months ago and say, you know, the way that we use this particular technology application is wrong. We're actually not using it right. And I love that and I appreciated it so much. So also just being open to some of the learning, you know, it's not all top down. There's some great bottom up learning to be had as well. That just makes for a wonderful environment. Totally. I think it requires a lot of humility as well. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Great. So we've talked about so much and, you know, what's one thing that you think a business could do given everything we've talked about to kind of set some of these ideas in motion? I would say it all starts from knowing your work really well. So if you had to describe what jobs do from a blank sheet of paper today, do you have the right idea about how work gets done? Once you know what's really in a job, then you can actually generally hire a broader group of people for it because you've erased all your kind of myths and stereotypes. Um, you know, and once you know what's needed from the work, you can really construct the learning culture you need. But it all starts from not assuming that you know how the work gets done. And to your point about humility, being humble enough sometimes to ask how work is getting done today, because again, it's changing really fast. Well, that wraps it up. Big thanks to our guest, Melissa, Balancing Life's Issues, the Business Council of Westchester and Westchester's ultimate headhunter, the Headless Horseman. Be sure to check out the bcw.org for upcoming webinars and events, including Talent Tuesdays. And definitely go check out Melissa's book, Work Here Now, Think Like a Human and Build a Powerhouse Workplace. Thanks again, Melissa. Thank you.